Father, uh, bless the uh, reading of your word today and uh, the teaching of your word. Uh, may we take uh, your truths uh, as you reveal them to us and uh, never compromise uh, that truth. Uh, never uh, compromise your word in a way that uh, would not bring you glory, but uh, rather let us uh, take what we learn, apply it to our lives, uh, in, in a manner that would glorify you, in a manner that would uh, bring worship and praise to you. And uh, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, <clears throat> we're going to be, we're starting today in Mark chapter 3. And uh, we'll see how far we get, but we're going to, the plan is to uh, get through verses 1 through 6. Okay. So uh, let me read. Again, he entered the synagogue, and this is Jesus, of course. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save life or to kill. We're in uh, Mark 3, verse 1 through 6. But they were silent, <clears throat> and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So, so this is a very uh, rich passage uh, where the, uh, the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus, instructs his disciples about the heart of the Sabbath, uh, as well as the heart on the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus teaches his, his observant uh, disciples how to appreciate the purpose of the Lord's day and how to make the most of it. But more than this, fundamentally, Jesus is teaching them about their hearts, about our hearts. This scene portrays a, a, a very ugly demonstration of a sin-hardened hearts. Uh, it also displays a very lovely demonstration of a grace-driven heart. And both were displayed at the same time, at the same place, on the same day, the Lord's Day. And in summary, what took place in the, in the text before us is, is what may indeed take place uh, on any given Lord's Day, in any given church, in any given location. Uh, some people gather to be helped, uh, some gather to help, and some gather to exercise hostility. And I think the, the question is sometimes, where do we fall in, right? Where do we fall in? Hi. We're in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And I think, you know, I wasn't here for Grady's teaching uh, previously, uh, <coughs> uh, but I talked to him a little bit about uh, how, how much of the Sabbath you all covered, right? And uh, so I think it's safe to say previously uh, uh, the weekly Sabbath was a defining 
uh, covenantal sign that the Jewish nation belonged to God. Right? Uh, therefore, it was a day that was especially guarded by those who boasted of being God's people. And in itself, this isn't bad. Uh, but unfortunately for the Pharisees, uh, this blessed sign became a badge of spirituality or like some kind of you know, weird you know, spiritual badge of honor, right? And uh, <clears throat> so much so that uh, many of them uh, could not see the reasoning that works of necessity. Let's, let's, let's go back to uh, Mark chapter 2. And let's read uh, 23 through 28, if someone could read that. So I'm doing, I want to get a little context here. Mark chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 23 through 28. I'll, I'll read. Okay, thank you. Um, one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, 23, right? Mm-hmm. Through grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you not read that David, what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, so the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. Thank you. So this would be works of necessity, right? For an example of. And then, uh, uh, and then <clears throat> they also could not see uh, the reasoning that uh, there was works of mercy. And that's what we're going to see here in verses 1 through 6, right? Uh, that the, these are permissible on this, uh, on this special day, on the Lord's day. Right? In fact, to fail to allow for these works uh, was to violate the Sabbath. I never always worried about violating the Sabbath, but, but, in, uh, uh, but to fail to allow for these works is actually to violate the Sabbath, which was given by God for man's benefit and not for his hindrance. Now the Pharisees, they were zealous for tradition, not for the truth. And when this is the case, uh, mischief is not uh, far behind. And we're going to see mischief in this scene, right? Now, the Lord's Day, whether it's the Old Covenant or the New Covenant, uh, was to be a day of gla uh, gladness, <clears throat> a day of uh, reverent rest, right? Um, and it is to be observed with joy. And I think that's key. If, if uh, let's just think about just coming to church here. If we're, if we're coming to church here, and we're not coming with joy. Uh, we're, we're, there's something amiss in, in our walk. We're coming for the wrong reason, the wrong motive. Maybe we're having a bad day. I mean, it could be a lot of different things, right? But even on a bad day, uh, no matter what we're going through, no matter what kind of trial we're going through or test we're going through, uh, uh, we are still to be joyful because scripture says that the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? So it's his joy that sustains us. I read this, I shared this with Keith already the other day. 
heard this great quote, I don't know who said it, I think it's anonymous, it said that the will of God will never take you uh, where the grace of God will not keep you. And I, I just love that, 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 that uh, uh, idea. And we're going to see that here. Uh, so, the Lord's Day is, is a day that we should look forward to rather than a day to be dreaded because of prohibitions or rules, right? Uh, and make uh, and, and let's not make a mistake here. It, it's uh, there is a fundamental prohibition uh, on the Lord's Day, and that's no work, right? And uh, just, I think about that, and that just makes me joyful. Not the work, <laughs> yeah. However, the Pharisees they, they turned it into a day of rules. Uh, they had created so many fences. They created so many fences that. Uh, nobody could get in the garden. You know, literally. Now, we may not suffer from the same problem today uh, that, you know, maybe the, the Pharisees were uh, suffering from. But I think we need to be uh, frank, we need to be truthful uh, concerning the sanctifying of the Lord's day, right? Uh, I don't think that this... Uh, in general might be on the average Christian's radar right? uh, I think we've kind of lost uh, possibly not, not this church in particular but the uh, evangelical church in general uh, I think we've lost a little bit of this uh, appreciation for the Lord's Day right? nevertheless uh, there's a principle here that we, uh, we can't miss on the Lord's Day and here it is Grace and mercy should be a welcome characteristic as we gather with one another. So when we, when we gather here at Maricopa Springs Family Church, that should be on display, grace and mercy. Right? Uh, the word of mercy coupled with the works of mercy, there's a distinction, should be a huge part of our assembling. So in other words, love, not hatred. Helping, not hurting. Uh, curing, not cursing. Healing, not maiming. And unfortunately, uh, for a certain group of Pharisees uh, that came uh, to the synagogue this day, they came with a critical, cynical, murderous heart and the place of help this place of help helping and healing at least for these Pharisees uh, became a place of hating and this was met amazingly with a heart of uh, righteous anger so as we commence here as we start to dive into this uh, uh, passage uh, let's uh, let us each consider what the Lord sees in our hearts individually as we meet on the Lord's Day. Fair enough? <coughs> so the text opens with the hint of the sinister uh, scrutiny that resides in the hearts of the Pharisees. Uh, someone read verses 1 and 2 again, please. I'll read it. Okay. He entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. They were watching him to see if... He would heal him on the Sabbath. So 
so that they might accuse him. Wow. So they were doing what? Well, like watching. watching, waiting for him to do something. To yeah. So they weren't just watching like we would sit down and watch Grady getting ready to preach a sermon, right? Mm -hmm. And we're anticipating what a great sermon is going to be, how much we're going to learn today. They weren't watching with that kind of heart, right? Uh, they were watching with uh, a cynical heart. They're looking for fault. That's right. Right. Um, you don't have to raise your hand on this. In fact, don't raise your hand on this. <laughs> but I, I'm an application kind of guy, right? Uh, God's word to me, you know, whenever I read it, it's, it's, I'm always thinking, how does this apply to me? How do I apply it to my walk, right? When I'm uh, uh, teaching other brothers, uh, in fact, on Monday night, that's all it's about, is how do we take um, what we're learning and apply it to our walk uh, this week? How can I apply it Monday? How can I apply it Tuesday? How can I apply it Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever, right? Every day, right, in other words. And um, the, uh, but how many of us, how many times uh, in our own lives um, have we been uh, critical to others? Um, e even on Sunday, right? Um, I have a, uh, you know, we all have our, is, is, are you all going through the Rooted series? Are some of us going through the Rooted series? The hardest one, I think, was was, was chapter six. It had to do with the, uh, uh, it was five or six. It had to do with, uh, you know, when we're carrying this specific sin that we're just not letting go of, right? And that was a hard one for me because I, I there's a, there's two people in my life that I'm just always find myself critical of, mm -hmm. uh, that make me bitter when I think about them, mm -hmm. that uh, make me, I'm not saying they make me, that I'm talking about me, <laughs> that I'm judgmental towards, right? And, and, and I know I can't do this, I know I'm not supposed to do this. And it's, and it's, and it's a stronghold, that's what it was the word I was looking for, a stronghold. This is the stronghold on me, uh, that, that every day I pray God, just take this away. Just take this away. And so, uh, this would be an easy one for me to fall into. If, if I'm sitting there and, you know, and I'm greeting people at the front door like I like to do here, and, and, then, and then they pop into my mind for some reason, you know, it, it's, it, my, 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 it changes my whole focus like that. And, and I feel this critical heart uh, inside me, and, it's just, and it just it breaks my heart, actually. Thank God, because that leads to confession and repentance. So, uh, and I'm not giving the Pharisees a pass here, but you know we're all subject uh, mm -hmm. to all the same sins. Um, so they they were watching, right? And what were they watching to see if Jesus was going to do? What, what were they What were they thinking he was going to do? He's going to work on the Sabbath, or is he going to rest? Mm-hmm. He's going to do something specific, though, right? That they're waiting for him to do. Because, to heal the man's hand. That's right, to heal the guy, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think this guy was there by accident. Right? Nothing is there by accident. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm insinuating something else, but you're right. And, and, and when we get to that, I'll, I'll bring that up. <laughs> uh, Do you mean he was he was a plant? Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, it, it's 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 planned by who though? The Pharisees. The Pharisees. Yeah. Uh, the Pharisees. Okay. Yeah. They didn't want to see him. Yeah. Or the Herodians. Mm -hmm. You know, whoever was there. Um. And then the other thing. So that was number one, right? And then, what were what were they going to do then once once he healed? What does it say there in verse verse two? Accuse him. Accuse him, mm -hmm. right? They had this all planned out. Right? Imagine how hard it would be to preach in a church like that. <laughs> you know, if someone was, if the whole congregation is ready to, you know, watch you do something wrong, they're just waiting for you to say the wrong thing and then accuse you afterwards, right? Uh, let's take it to a different level. Imagine your husbands and wives talking, you know? Um, if if my heart is not right towards my wife, then I, it would be easy for me to find myself in a situation where I'm ready to uh, 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 pick on her about something. I'm just waiting for her to do it. Come on, I know you're going to say it. We've had this discussion before, right? Yeah. And then I pounce on it, right? Uh, you young folks, you know, you're going to have relationships as you grow uh, where. Uh, especially, I think, in your uh, uh, teen years. This, this is something that's uh, prevalent, uh, that happens all the time. You know, I, I, I had teenage daughters, I had two of them, and it was a struggle every day because everybody was judging each other, accusing each other. Everybody was fighting. It was, just, it was like best friends fighting all the time. I said, well, why is that your best friend then? Don't hang out with them. Right? That's all you can do, right? So, uh, but we as adults do it too. So the opening words of this passage, what it should do, it should stir compassion in our hearts. And why is that? Well, a man was there with what? A withered hand, right? See how it's, it's, if the focus is a little bit different, how the attitude starts to change, right? So here's this guy with a withered hand. What's a withered hand mean? Anybody, what does that mean, a withered hand? Paralyzed? Yeah, paralyzed, dried up. Yeah, I think withered, yeah, we, we think of like. But it had to be something that would be obvious. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, I mean it wouldn't be that he wouldn't, he was, they planted somebody who wasn't really. That's correct. Yeah, he, he was, he ha had a withered hand, right? Um, And yeah, so the, the word actually does literally mean dried up, uh, in this case paralyzed. So because of that, this, this man could not function fully in life, right? Uh, he was probably not only unemployed, but unemployable uh, back in his time, in those times, right? I think it's safe to assume that. Uh, we don't know for sure, but what we do know is that this man's body was not functioning as God had originally designed it to function. And that is, should for us always be a reason for compassion. Right? Um, 
especially especially believers you know um, and it's so easy just to walk by people uh, that have a problem you know we, we, we start to our brains start to go crazy we start thinking I don't know if I want to get involved uh, you know all these things right all these thoughts we have instead of you know just going up and maybe talking to this person maybe sharing Jesus with them uh, you know, uh, there's something uh, in a, in a, in the cynical part of our heart in the flesh that wants to avoid uh, folks uh, that that are having problems that have issues. In this case, this man um, was uh, again suffering, and his malady it wasn't uh, merely physical. It was also spiritual. Uh, let's go to Leviticus uh, chapter 21. And let's explore why this why his problem was also spiritual. Okay, and let's start in uh, verse uh, 16. And I'll start reading here. <coughs> and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron saying, None of your offspring throughout their generation who has a blemish may approach to, uh, may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near a blind man or lame or one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand or a hunchback or a dwarf or a man with defect in his sight or an itching disease or scabs or, or crushed testicles. No man of the offspring of Aaron the priest who has a blemish shall come near to offer the Lord's food uh, offerings since he has a blemish. He shall not come near to the offer bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and the holy things, that he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar, because he has a blemish, that he may not uh, profane my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So Moses spoke to Aaron and to his sons and to all the people of Israel. All right? So here's a prohibition on people that uh, uh, are very well described here with different maladies. Right, um, but the Pharisees took this to to a legalistic uh, degree. This this is this this is simply just a, a picture of of uh, of how a sacrifice always has to be perfect. You know, uh, the only certain people were allowed to go through the veil. Uh, into the sanctuary uh, and they were appointed by God uh, uh, as the high priest being able to do this uh, uh, so this would apply not just to someone uh, who was uh, uh, had, had a malady but anybody else right um, so but the Pharisees took this way too far let me pick up back on my notes here
So, according to Leviticus 21.16, <clears throat> such a condition, the withered hand, uh, would result in him being cut off from temple worship. Right? So that's, that's what they were doing. They cut this man off from temple worship. This human being made in the image of God was missing out on the fullness of why God had created him to worship him. That's why we were created, to worship God. And I'm pretty sure he felt like an outcast. And yet on this Sabbath morning, here he was, this man with a withered hand, faithfully gathering with God's covenantal people. And uh, I wonder if we can relate uh, uh, to this uh, in, in any sense. You know, we don't always feel, uh, maybe we don't have a withered hand, but maybe, maybe our hearts are withered. You know, again, like I was speaking earlier about bitterness and, and, and you know, being critical of, of someone, right? Uh, if, if, I, if I let that overcome me, then the next step would be I wouldn't feel worthy to come into the house of God. I might even take it to the point where I would resist coming to the house of God and, I even, and, and then stop going to church over time. How many people do you know, and, and I'm sure we know some folks in our families or we know some friends, that they just stop going to church? And you ask them why. Just never said old people, they're hypocrites. That's right. <laughs> that's, well, that's the number one excuse, uh, uh, right? That's the number one excuse, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I hear it quite a bit. I talk to a lot of people about Jesus. And one of the first questions I always ask is, are you a churchgoer? Because I like to get right to the heart of it, right? And when they say no, I ask them, well, why not? Well, because uh, there's a bunch of hypocrites down there. And, you know, I, I, I just, I worship God in my own way. That's, it. That's the number, number two one, right? Oh, your own way, okay. So, uh, so this would be easy for this guy to do that, right? I mean, he had a, you know, he was probably, uh, again, shunned everywhere he went, right? That's how they treated folks back then. But I think we treat folks the same way t today in, in, in a lot of instances. You know, I've, I've seen it firsthand. So, anyone with a heart, anyone who had a heart would be moved. But sadly, not everyone who was in church that day had a heart. At least not a healthy one. And this is clear from the next statement. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. That, that is the, uh, the, the, literally the symptom of an unhealthy heart. Not everyone who gathers for worship was there to worship. Not everyone who gathered on the appointed Lord's day uh, was doing so motivated by love for God. And therefore, with, uh, or with love for their neighbor, either, right? Uh, and, you know, sometimes people gather on the Lord's Day with sinister motives, and, that, and that's what was happening today. That's what was happening here in this passage, sinister motives. And as Jesus entered the synagogue, again, probably, and this was probably in, in, in Capernaum, and uh, the Pharisees entered with him. And these guys, they were like a dog with a bone. We were talking about dogs earlier, right? They were like a dog with a bone, right? Uh, and, and they had their self-righteous agenda. They were, they were ready to pounce. You know, and then perhaps Jesus and his disciples, they'd just come out of, uh, 
of the grain fields, because if we go back and uh, uh, we see that in chapter 2. And the Pharisees are keeping stride, they're keeping up with them, right? And, uh, and perhaps they were aware that the man with the withered hand was a frequent synagogue attendee. I'm just guessing at all this stuff, but it just kind of makes sense, right? They knew that Jesus had deep compassion for those who suffered. They knew, the Pharisees knew that about Jesus. They, they'd seen him heal. They'd seen, they'd seen, they'd seen, they saw literally firsthand his compassion uh, for people who were suffering. And they knew that he never encountered a need that he did not want to meet. They knew that about Jesus. And, and the, these Pharisees, they, they, was, they observed Jesus with increasing frequency. Jesus delivering people from, uh, uh, from the oppression of demons. Uh, they observed him healing people and embracing uh, the otherwise hopeless uh, because uh, religious and social outcasts of society, because they were religious and social outcasts of society. They saw Jesus embracing them, right? And, 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 and to me, it's, it's like a twist of irony uh, that the Pharisees, uh, they detected this shepherd's heart. Uh, in, in Jesus the great shepherd uh, of the sheep and I guess at least they got that part right right but, you know it's kind of funny funny but the Pharisees they seem to think it was their job to judge Jesus mm -hmm. well Jesus' job was to heal people and they're judging him for doing his job mm -hmm. but they're doing their job too they think so they're just as guilty. I mean, yeah. as far as working on the Sabbath. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. everybody would still. Yeah. I mean, if you're planning to do harm to Jesus, that that is working, isn't it? I think it would be pretty hard work to do. Yeah. What um, What was motivating them to to do this? Were they were they jealous of Jesus? Were they really did they really think they were doing the right thing? Mm -hmm. you know, what was, it's a great question, and, and I think I have the answer right here in my notes. <laughs> it's a great time. <coughs> Excuse me. So as they entered the synagogue, number one, the Pharisees were, they were hell-bent because they were hell-driven. And there's the motive. They were hell-bent because they were hell-driven. And uh, to catch and condemn Jesus once and for all. If they could catch him in the act of breaking the law of God, they would no longer need to worry about his claim to lordship. So there's your motive. Right? This was their intent. And I think that when they're sitting there, they, they, they could probably hardly believe their, their good fortune, right? Uh, that there was this man with a withered hand and all, right? And I'm sure that uh, the adrenaline must have been flowing, right? You know, when you're ready to get somebody, right? On this Lord's Day, they had high hopes of, of catching uh, the Lord in something, right? Now, the phrase they watched, I want to uh, key in on that a little bit. It's an extremely strong statement in the original language. And uh, it speaks of inspecting but doing so insidiously, right? 
Uh, every time these words, uh, every time the words are used, the words uh, they watch in the New Testament, uh, they're in a negative context. And if you want to write these down, you can go back and look at these later. If you go to Luke 6, 7, Luke 14, 1, Luke 20, 20, Acts 9.24 and Galatians 4.10 okay. so they watched with uh, insidious intent uh, to gather evidence by which they could accuse him uh, the word was a legal term used of a, a like a, a, like a uh, uh, court term of a plaintiff uh, who brings an offense to, to the authorities right it's always used that way in the new testament and we find the term again in mark 15 3 when jesus was accused before the powers that be let's let's go to there uh, mark 15 3 it says uh and the chief priest accused them of many things. Well, quick verse, right? But uh, so this was just an ongoing thing all the time with the Pharisees. In other words, right? They just never stopped. They, these guys were relentless uh, in their uh, trying to catch Jesus breaking the law as they saw it, right? Um, they had, again, hearts that were sinister. They had no compassion. They had no compassion for this guy with the withered hand. They could have cared less that he was there, except that he was there uh, as, as a way to use him against Jesus, not to have compassion for the guy, right? And so the question is, what was the offense they were hoping to witness? <laughs> Or what evil deed did they desire to catch Jesus doing? I think we answered it before, right? It's healing, right? Healing on the Sabbath, more specifically. And having witnessed him allowing his disciples to break uh, uh, their law on the Sabbath, they now saw a perfect opportunity to catch Jesus himself breaking their law. Because they, you know, they saw his disciples doing it. Right? Now let's, let's catch Jesus doing it. And the Pharisees we had seen, as, as we have seen, they've built all kinds of traditional fences uh, around the fourth commandment. Uh, in, their, uh, in their Mishnah, they adopted a law that was allowable to perform medical work on Sabbath if it was a matter of life or death. Right? And thankfully that included childbirth. Right? But it could be convincingly argued that a man with a useless hand was not facing a life or death situation. So what an opportunity to catch Jesus, the lawbreaker. And I don't want us to, to miss the, the, the horror of this scene. It's, it's sometimes we can just read right through our Bible and we, we miss things sometimes. Uh, but I want to zero in here. Uh, hatred is present. Uh, in church a place of helping for some a place of hatred for others 
and the gathering that was designed to heal had for some become an opportunity to hate. Now the Pharisees, they brought with them a murderous spirit as they gathered at the synagogue. They professed to be worshipers, but they were filled with ungodly wrath. They did not arrive to humble themselves before the Lord. No humility there. Rather, they came to criticize, to find fault, uh, and, uh, and exert their lordship over the rightful Lord. Imagine trying to exert our lordship over Jesus. Right? We would never do that, right? We never would take control of our own life. Right? We would never say, ah, you know, I, I got this one, God. You, know, you, you could take a rest, right? You know, we, we never do that, right? <laughs> God's people have been under, now remember, they've been under centuries of oppression, right? Uh, many held on to the anticipation that the Messiah would come and make things right. And, and here he was. And he was proving that he could heal spiritually and therefore in every other way. Messiah came, uh, Jesus came with a deep compassion for those suffering. But instead of rejoicing, uh, these worshipers, and you know, in parentheses, could only criticize and condemn. People were being helped and healed, and these religious shepherds could only cynically plot against him and against his. So here's a warning. Sadly, this I think this still occurs today. Uh, people, perhaps still in synagogues or churches, uh, people arrive with murder in their hearts. They, they come with hearts filled with enmity or malice or cynicism, fault-finding and rebellion. And we need to check our hearts then as we gather with God's people. Uh, why are we gathering? Right? We need to ask that, that question. What do, we, what do we hope to get out of the gathering? Right? Uh, better, what do we plan on contributing to the gathering? These are questions we should ask ourselves. Right? Um, my grandfather, who was a pastor for many, many years, he, he taught me lots of... Uh, uh, truth and some of the things that stick out the most are, are he, what, a little thing he said one time that you know you don't come to church to get blessed you come to church to bless God and I, and I think about that all the time right it's just a simple little couple words but, it, but, it, but it's, a, it's a heart changer it's a motive ch- checker right my, my grandma used to say you're not going to church for yourself, you're going to church for God. Yeah, yeah. And if we go to church for God, then it, it, it just stands that we would go to church for others that God has put there, right? The body of Christ. So instead of just seeking, I'm gonna say don't seek blessings, but we should be a blessing, yeah, first and foremost. In, in, in Matthew it said, seek you first the kingdom of God, and all things will follow. There you go. Get it in the right order with the right motive. Yeah. Right. I, I think I think of that uh, sometimes when um, when you're looking for a church, you know, you look for a church where you're comfortable, and uh-huh. entertaining, and, you know, you get mm-hmm. a good message, you get a good and um, it's kind of backwards. We do yeah. it, of course. You yeah. Want to be comfortable, but 
But we did do that. Not exactly the Yeah, church shopping. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, we do it, you know. Yeah. But, but, you know, we need to be aware that that's what yeah. we do. Yeah, and so I, I, would, I would pose then the question, this would be the question uh, uh, if I'm talking to someone about something like that, right? They're looking for a church, and, and, and if they're saying, well, I'm looking for... They have to have a certain kind of music. They have to have a certain kind of preaching. They have to have a certain kind of uh, charisma. You know, uh, uh, I don't like the old hymns. I hope it's not a bunch of old people there. I want a people church with young people. They have to have a good youth ministry, a good uh, children's ministry. All these things, right? That churches have, and these are all good things, right? But they have this whole list, and and what these lists become are, are idols, right? This, this is this. Instead of asking God, where do you want me to go? Yep. They're, 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 we're telling God, this is what I'm looking for. So just find this for me, mm -hmm. right? Who's in charge here, <laughs> right? Um, I remember uh, I was <coughs> had an opportunity to go be an associate pastor at, at, at this uh, really big mega church up in San Francisco. And um, and then the, and I was praying about it, I was praying about it, and, and right at the last minute, practically, uh, I was approached to, and asked to be an associate pastor at this very small church in San Francisco. Uh, so, like a 6,000-person church to a 200-person church. So I, so I went down and, and uh, looked at the church, the small one, and it was, um, uh, it was right in the middle of uh, the, um, the worst district in San Francisco, right? It was uh, all the projects. You know, I'm talking about for crime and poverty and all this stuff. And, uh, and they said, uh, we can't pay you, uh, but we can give you room and board if you come and, and, and serve here as an associate pastor to the head pastor. So I prayed about it and I, and, and, uh, I chose, <coughs> I thought God was leading me to this uh, small church, even though I've been praying for a couple years to be a part of a big church. Right? I really, I really want to be a pastor at a big, big church. Right? That was my idea of what I was supposed to do, but God had a different idea. And uh, so, the, when I reported there, I was at that time. I, I, I drove a '65 Volkswagen bus that barely ran. Right? And uh, and I pulled up and met with the pastor and the couple elders and they said ah, we got some bad news uh, we not only can we not pay you but we can't give you room and board that fell through I'm like oh and the other opportunity was already gone and that was a paid position the other one right and uh, uh, and they said but if you want you know you have that bus you can you probably sleep there and then you can wash up in the church bathroom if you, if you like and you know and we'll figure out a way to maybe get you a meal here or there, you know. So I stayed there, right? And when I, at the time, 
was I enamored with the whole thing? No, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yay, right? I, I was not happy, uh, but, but I wanted to be obedient. And, and now when I look back with, with over time and I look back at that, that was one of the happiest times of my life in, in ministry. So much got done there that it was, it was, it was crazy, you know, that maybe wouldn't have happened at the big giant church, right? So um, we got off track here a little bit because it, it reminded me of church shopping and stuff, right? <laughs> Pastors do it too. <laughs> uh, um, so we need to check our hearts when we gather with God's people, you know? And being with Jesus as we gather should transform whatever motives we have. That should be happening, right? If we have bad motives, those should be being transformed if, if we're really believers. Right? That's the work of the Holy Spirit to, to the renewing of our minds. This transformation should be taking place day by day by day as we gather together. And it should be lived out long after the gathering. So do we go to church just on Sunday? And that's it? That's our, that's our whole... Spiritual experience? No. No. What, what? What should it be? Every day. Yeah. Every moment of our life. That's right. Doesn't say scripture. Doesn't say pray once in a while. It says pray what? No. Without, Without ceasing. ceasing. Right. How do you do that? Right. Believe it or not, I think you can. Right. Uh, yeah. What do you think of prayer as an ongoing dialogue or an ongoing association? With, with God and absolutely and and that's that's why he created us we were created to worship him worship and prayer to me are synonymous and also it's a, it's a comfort in our daily you know whatever activities we have to do every day mm -hmm. when, when we pray I mean there is always a comfort in what to me it is a comfort mm -hmm. yeah it should be and I'm glad it is it is so it's just not a once a week thing, right? No. That, that we have a Sabbath. I mean, we have a day that we come and and we worship together. That's that's an assembling of the of, of the believers of the body of Christ. Uh, but we're still uh, uh, relationally interacting with 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 God minute by minute uh, in our walks, right? Um, so, so the warning here is that uh, sometimes gathering with, with God's people can be a painful thing, right? I, we, I'm, I'm sure we've all had situations where maybe we, we came and we were hurting about something and we reached out to a brother or sister and they, and they, 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 and they, and they, they felt, we, kept, we walked away feeling like, oh, I don't think they really cared about what I said. You know, I, I feel like I just got kind of left out Right, I've seen it where uh, I've literally seen this when, where, where someone's talking to someone else about what a good time they had over the weekend. You know, they, a couple families got together for dinner, and you know, and a third person walks up, and they're, they're and they were thinking, why wasn't I invited? Right, and their feelings were hurt. You know, and. You know, obviously it's impossible for all of us to have dinner together every weekend, right? That's not, that's not going to happen. But but our feelings get hurt, and 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 
So the person whose feelings were, what was, were, their, were their motives good? If you really dig deep, right? Because nobody was trying to hurt them, nobody was trying to leave them out. They felt left out, you know. Could it be that the reason they felt left out is, is there's something in their heart that, that needs fixing? Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. What would that be? Yep. It's, 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 it's always the self. Yeah. Selfishness. So, I mean, it, yeah. that's why Jesus said, you deny yourself. Yeah. If you follow me, you have to deny yourself. Yeah. Well, feelings don't always tell the truth either. I mean, yeah. like you said, there's something going on inside you that makes you feel like you need. And that's, that's our biggest enemy, mm-hmm. self. Uh, I agree with that 100%. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 uh, um, it's, it's almost, you can point to, to the, our selfish desires as, as the cause of almost all our problems. Yeah, I right? agree. Um, you know what, now that you mentioned that, I think even um, for my friends here who are teens, um, they, sometimes they overthink about like maybe how people are thinking about them mm-hmm. and we as adults go through the same thing mm-hmm. except that maybe we know how to camouflage it to a certain extent mm-hmm. um, but I think it's the same throughout the ages and maybe when you're little it's not like that yeah but when you are like us like maybe teenager on mm-hmm. you're always thinking like how others are perceiving you uh, but I think for us mm-hmm. Christians um, the reminder is Let's think of others um, and let's serve others. And in that sense, we're leaving ourselves behind because it's not about us. Mm-hmm. Because when we make it about us, mm-hmm. then all of that happens. You know, like my feelings are hurt. They don't like me, but I don't know that. Maybe that, that, that wasn't the case. Give people the benefit of the doubt as well. Yeah, so as, as we grow older, <clears throat> we, we learn to read between the lines, mm-hmm. right? Someone says something but we apply uh, a different meaning to what they said. And, that, and, and we apply that meaning based on how we want to feel about it, right? Or the question is like, um, instead of focusing on what others say about you, what, what we could just say, what about God? How, mm-hmm. I mean, how, how he, mm-hmm. I mean, it should be important that how God says about ourselves mm-hmm. not not we don't care I mean we care others but what they say about us is it really doesn't matter what matter is what God says about about you or about mm-hmm. me uh, to me that's yeah. yeah that's the biggest the biggest um the biggest important thing I think is what God said I mm-hmm. mean what God said about your action about your heart I think that's the most important I agree so here, applicationally then, because this, this, this is, I'm trying to draw this out, so this is a great discussion, right? If, if we want to be uh, in the place where we're not feeling judged, or we're not feeling left out, in other words, we're not going through all of these emotions, right? If we're not wondering what someone's thinking about us, Right? If we're not wondering if we don't measure up enough to, to another person in the body of Christ, whatever, right? We're going through these struggles, right? Uh, and I think you, 
Uh, Monica, I think you hit on it. You, did you, you use the word esteem or self-esteem? Did you use that word? I don't like the word self-esteem. Okay, I don't, I don't either. I don't either. Right? And I want to replace that with God's esteem. There you go. I need to say it's like how God views me because when I put everything about me, mm -hmm. it's like it's a dangerous path. And that's what self-esteem is. Right. So, so the best the, the best esteem should be who am I in Christ? Yep. Right. Yeah. Who am I in Christ? And where do we find out who we are in Christ? God's word, right? And then, and then, and then, what's even, what's even a really cool thing to do is go to uh, the Gospel of John and read all the way through a couple times, right? And look at Jesus' "I am" statements because He tells us who He is. Well, if I'm in Christ, then who am I in Christ, right? He has these, these wonderful I am statements. And these, these I am statements, these are statements of God's presence. That's what they literally are. It's a, it's a statement of presence. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. All these things that Jesus says about himself. And then if we are in Christ, right, it, it changes how we think about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? And it changes how we think about ourselves in relation to other people. Too. Yeah, absolutely. It, it 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 will always lead. This transformation will always lead to us being gracious to others. <laughs> One minded. <laughs> the world will, will look at us and like, oh, you're 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 one mind. You're very inclusive. <laughs> <coughs> yes, that's another whole subject. Yeah, I know. <laughs> So let's move on to the next set of verses. That's what, that was one and two, right? <laughs> let's go to three and five, three through five. So I'm gonna read three through five. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to, not, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with him, <coughs> by the hardness of their hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hands. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as cold as the other. So among other remarkable things, how wonderful, here's how wonderful, I'm gonna say again, how wonderful uh, is it that this man became a recipient of God's grace without even asking for it. Jesus took the initiative and the man was changed. And, and folks, this is the gospel. It's God that takes the initiative in salvation. It's a sovereign salvation. When, when uh, before I was a believer, um, I wasn't seeking God. I, I had no desire to be uh, called a, a, a Christian, right? Um, did I have religious ideas? Sure, I think we all grew up with some kind of religious ideas. We get them from different places, right? Um, but, you know, I was living for myself. 
And so had I am convinced, I am convinced, and no one will ever convince me otherwise, that had God not had, had not the Holy Spirit pierced my dead, sinful heart, gifting me with faith to confess and repent and believe uh, and trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, I never would have done it. Yep. It never would have happened. It's, it's God and God alone that saves. I had my free will had nothing to do with it, <laughs> right? And, and I've, I've had this discussion many, many times with many, many folks about, you know, they say, well, oh, no, no, you know, God gives me free will to, you know, to choose him. Well, he gives a free will, but not for that part. Yeah. Right? That's God and God alone. Right? This is sovereign grace, sovereign salvation. Sovereign reconciliation. It's God that initiates and God that, and, and here we see a picture of that. There's Jesus initiating. This, this guy, he, I'm, I'm sure he knew Jesus healed, right? Probably heard it. Yeah, yeah, he probably figured I could probably put my hand out and ask, and he probably will do it. I, I, he may have seen him do it for others. But Jesus initiated, right? It's God's sovereign will. Jesus, and look what he says to the man. He said, what does he say? He says, come here. Who's doing the calling? Jesus. Jesus. Right? And and this is this is a, to me this is a marvelous example of unconditional election, of effectual calling, uh, and irresistible grace. But more, it's also an example of an of an incredible graciousness on the part of Jesus. Right? Got a few minutes here. Jesus wasn't using this man as a pawn as the Pharisees were seeking to do, right? Uh, Jesus addressed this man as a person who was in need. Jesus was concerned about uh, uh, this man in a way that nobody else was. He, he cared about alleviating this man's suffering. And the Pharisees, they cared about tradition more than truth. Jesus, however, cared about truth that leads to transformation. So this is also a picture of not only a sovereign grace, but of, of spiritual transformation. Right? So if your truth does not enlarge your heart, then maybe you're not as truth-filled as you think you are. If your theology does not produce compassion, then your theology is heretical. And uh, James Edwards uh, thoughtfully said, the test of all theology and morality is either passed or failed by one's response to the weakest and most defenseless members of society. The reason's clear, if we, if we love God, we will love others, right? So, So I wonder how this man felt when Jesus summoned him and he said, come here, right? I asked myself that question. I wonder how, I, how would I feel, <laughs> right? Because now, guess what? He's the center of attention. Yeah. And I don't think 
people back then that had these deformities wanted to be the center of attention. They, they were they were trying to hide and stay you know in the darkness, right out of out of people's view, because I'm sure growing up he didn't hear the kindest things, right. It's probably the last thing he wanted, but you know what? It's the very thing he needed. This man may become weary of people staring at him. He experienced time and time again in public people who, who uh, don't uh, fit our norm are often the object of avoidance, right? But it's interesting that Jesus often did this. In no case was he being cruel, right? He was calling their attention to himself, but he was also calling attention to those observing what he could do, right? Each of us whom Jesus calls are also objects and trophies of his grace. And I, and I love thinking about it like that, right? When, 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 when we see a brother or sister just light up a room because of their love for Jesus, and you know folks like that, right? Sometimes you think, man, I wish I could be more like that person. That person loves Jesus. Right? I love being around people that are like that, right? And and uh, uh, and, and that person is literally that's that's a, that's a trophy of, of God's grace, right there, right. And as this man stood up, perhaps he he made his way towards Jesus, and Jesus asked a question like he did whenever he was confronted. The question was pretty clever, right? Uh, it revealed incredible insight from the hearts and minds of the Pharisees. Uh, he knew what they were thinking, right? And he knew that they were hoping to trap him. And his response revealed his wisdom in avoiding a, a, this, a, a big showdown with these religious leaders. Uh, that day was going to come, but not, not here, right? Because Jesus' question went to the motive. It went to the principle behind the fourth commandment. And this is a lesson that we all need. And what is the principle behind this fourth commandment? It's restoration. Uh, we might even say healing. And, and what a perfect day uh, for a withered hand to, to be restored. Right. I think we better stop here. I'm not, I've got, we better stop here. So, um, I wanted to talk about Jesus silencing the scoffers. I'll talk to Grady, maybe I'll come back here next week again. And we'll finish up uh, because um, in my notes here I have him silencing the scoffers. There's a sound of silence, like the old song, remember? <laughs> of, we're going to talk about spiritual cardiology. What does that have to do with this? We'll see. Um, how the word saves and about sovereign grace. All right. Uh, would somebody like to pray? Yeah, I'll pray. Father, thank you uh, for your word today. Uh, thank you for uh, a loving uh, Savior uh, who cares about us, who's compassionate for us, who loves his sheep and shepherds them in, in all things and all ways. And uh, Lord, uh, as we go about uh, our week this week, uh, let us live 
lives that glorify you. Let us live lives that uh, show how you're transforming us day by day as we adore you and worship you and praise you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.